Welcome to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news relating to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. To participate in today's program, our guest call in line is 646-716-4972. And now, here is your host of Lickin' on Lending, David Lickin'. So good to have you with us, everybody. Hope you're having a great President's Day. For those of you that are enjoying a banking holiday, we appreciate you tuning in and telling others about the podcast, what we're doing here. Again, this program is created by mortgage professionals for mortgage professionals, and we're the proud recipient of the Innovation Award from Progress in Lending. Very excited to be with you. We're continuing today in the Hot Topics segment, the series of discussions regarding TRID, and it's TRID in the Trenches. You know, last week we had Loretta Salzano. She was a great guest, gave us some good insights, and we're continuing with that. And today we have Nancy Alley, Vice President of Strategic Planning with Simplify. Nancy, good to have you joining the the podcast. Appreciate it. Well, great to be here. Thanks, David. You bring 25 years of financial services experience and a lot of mortgage industry lending experience. You are the Vice President of Strategic Planning at Simplify, but you also have had a distinguished career in mortgage lending and specifically have won a lot of awards within the mortgage technology area. For example, Stephen Frazier Visionary Award in 2011. You also hold a bachelor's degree, and there's a lot of other awards you can go on. Get, go check out her LinkedIn page, and you'll see all of her background and every there, everything there. But she also received a uh, bachelor's degree and uh, in a business administration from University of Michigan from the Ross School of Business. It's good to have you with us, Nancy. What's really interesting is some of the things that you're doing in the area of TRID, and that's really what I want to get into. I want to talk about some of the services you provide, but you know, more interesting is there's the bigger challenges that you're seeing emerging since TRID went on in, into force. And I would like to get your perspective. What are some of those big challenges that the industry is facing? Well, I think the biggest thing that, that we're seeing, and you'll hear if you sit on any MBA call or we sit on the, the land title, the Alta calls every week as well, is that it's really just getting the lender and the settlement agent communities on the same page. So right. we're just not there yet. I mean, they're trying, they're working hard together, but they're just not on the same page yet. And I think Loretta mentioned this last week in, in her podcast that, you know, their roles have really flip-flopped. So, you know, the HUD one used to be done by the agent. The lender's assuming that under the new disclosures. And, you know, with that, with that not only has it flip-flopped, but there's timing pressure, there's more risk from a compliance perspective. So, you know, they're really struggling, I think, to just really get on the same page and feel comfortable with the process. You know, it's so true that we look at the role reversal. It's really true. Have lenders been able to really take this on, take on their new responsibilities successfully, in your opinion? What's your, what's your perspective? Yeah, I mean, my, my gut reaction is yes. I think hats off to the lenders out there that they've worked through this. I think, you know, all of them, or at least almost all of them, are getting the disclosures out the door. I think you mentioned earlier, you know, the first few weeks, I think, were bumpy back in October as people work through maybe integrations, let's say, with their doc vendor on this. And then we saw it a couple of weeks later, it got bumpy again because people kind of focused early October on the loan estimate, and then we got to the closing disclosure. We had a few more bumps, but, you know, I really think that, you know, we've gotten there, um, and they're really doing a good job and wholeheartedly digging in and trying to comply with, really, the letter of the law. It's interesting you use the choice, choice words, the letter of the law. Explain that. 
Well, so, you know, I guess what I mean there is, you know, there's how many pages of regulation, and the lenders are, at least the lenders we're working with, they're working really hard to cross every T, dot every I, make sure that they have it straight. But I take a step back from that a little bit because we're exposed to so many lenders and from Simple Pals' point of view, so many settlement agents, and I think there's really been a focus as an industry that this is almost a form change. So we have these new forms we have to get out the door to, to close a loan. And I think that's a little bit of a, a misconception. So I like to think about, yeah, we're doing a great job of maybe addressing the letter of the law, the nuances of the regulation, but what about the spirit of the law? So, you know, really this is a shift, you know, being promoted by the CFPB that as a lender, as a creditor, we now have to be able to be compliant in the way we disclose to consumers, right? So we have to do that. There's timing issues around that. It has to be done securely. But the bottom line is we have to disclose in a way that there's no surprises at the closing table. And I think if you take a step back, that's really the spirit of the law that as a lending organization you need to be think about, thinking about now. You've gotten over the hump. You're getting these forms out. But this is a big risk shift towards the lender, that was never there before. And I think a lender needs to make sure that they're kind of holistically incorporating a, a process or a system so that they can get this right and really meet the spirit of the law. I love that concept of the spirit of the law versus the letter law because I think anytime you I've done do a lot of legal expert witness work and anytime you talk to an attorney, they keep going to the spirit of the law rather than the letter of the law. Now we get litigated on the letter of the law, but it's really coming down if you can prove that you've gone to the spirit of the law. And I think that's a really good point. Can you give us an example of this? So, you know, I think about a lot of the lenders that we've been speaking with or working with, and a lot of them really approach this, you know, approach to October, let's say, with kind of a brute force approach. And I don't mean that as a criticism because they were all in on getting it right. But they staffed up so that when they're working with their agents, they can email, phone. You heard Loretta mention last week people are even faxing back and forth to really get, you know, the, the closing disclosure done. And, you know, take a step back from that. So in a low-volume scenario, that probably works, especially if you only deal with, you know, a certain number of settlement agents. But you get in a heavy purchase market, let's get in a high-volume market, and we get a spike. How, how do you scale those human beings, right, to get this done? Because if you start getting a lot of volume, I'd be concerned about a lender's ability to really meet the timing requirements of the regulation. And then, so, you know, that steps back, you take a step back and say, okay, on this loan, on the Smith loan, I'm meeting the letter of the law, but if I get a huge volume spike, how do I make that process something that I can scale, make it repeatable, predictable, and secure? I heard Linda Loretta mention last week, and I thought this was a great comment because we've seen this too, is that people are faxing and emailing, and she knows of cases, and we know of cases where people are not using secure email. I think the CFPB's made it pretty clear that borrower data is considered PPI data. So when you think about it that way, and you might, let's say even as a lender, you're taking it on securely and you're using encrypted email, you're also responsible for your settlement agents, your service providers. Yeah. You're on the hook Absolutely. for their behavior, right? So I yeah. think that people need to think about you really need to set up a system that handles all of that. It allows you to be secure, repeatable, predictable, et cetera. And I, I don't I think that's where you get into the you know, the spirit of the law. And quite frankly, I would argue that's where you need technology. When you think about the the concept, the idea behind collaborative portals, it it's there, but in hindsight, wasn't that just a buzzword and never mere materialized into a real concept? Yeah, I no, I think that's that's a great Great point. I would say I would actually couldn't disagree with you more in a way that it never materialized. 
collaboration materialized, right? So all these lenders right. are collaborating. If you think about how are they getting this formed, and they can't do it in a vacuum. So a lender can't complete the closing disclosure without you know, collaborating with the settlement agent. They're just choosing to do it manually, going back to my brute force comment. So I think the real question is, do you want to do this manual or do you want to do it electronic? And, you know, I don't think that manual really can scale, quite frankly. So I think right. you get down to you've got to find the right electronic collaboration solution so that you, you can have a system and a process that helps you address, again, not just the letter but also the spirit of the law. Joe, I'm going to get you in on the discussion. And Alice here, I know you're listening in. Hopefully you made it past security there at TSA. But if you could jump in with any of your comments. But, Joe, let's toss the mic to you. Well, I, I wondered if you could give us sort of a specific example of, you know, where the lender and the agent broke down. Yeah, I'd be happy to. So, you know, there's been lots of different areas. I think one that's been really loud and clear is a lot of noise about fee naming. So, as you all know. I'm sorry, what? About fee naming. Oh, fee naming. Yeah. I got you. Yeah. Okay. So, as you know, the loan estimate and the closing disclosure, that what you call things need to match. So, as lenders were preparing for TRID, they spent a lot of time not only consolidating their lists of fees and mapping them to the LOS, okay? So, they were trying to grab hold of what all those possible permutations of fees could be. Before, when you had the closing agent doing the HUD-1, they could enter really what they wanted. If they wanted to call an endorsement something special, it didn't really matter to the lender because you were dealing in paper at that point, really. You were dealing in a document. But now that the lender has to produce the form, that data needs to come back, and it can't break its LOS. So you can't have a settlement agent just entering whatever they want, or you're going to have an integration problem. When we worked with lenders, they typically had three or four technology integrations going for TRID. So they had their their doc provider, their compliance provider. They might have had a fee service that they were integrating to, maybe a collaboration portal. And now you've got to bring the data back from the settlement system. So, you know, what you call things, and not just fees, but all the way down to liabilities, adjustments, et cetera, really can wreak havoc, and I think it's rearing its ugly head right now. Is it getting better, though? I mean, as as people are working together more and more, and shouldn't, at some point, shouldn't this all be pretty much smooth sailing? Yeah, it, that, that's the goal, right? <laughs> I think where we're seeing um, more smooth sailing is on the borrower form where the lenders are getting them back and, you know, getting them out, getting them disclosed in time right now. We're still hearing a lot of rumblings on the seller form, and I'd be, you know, interested to see if that's come up on previous calls here, where lenders are telling us, you know, they're not necessarily even getting the seller form back. They're getting HUD-1s back, all the settlement statements back. I heard Loretta mention this last week as well. And if you look at the regulation, that burden is on the agent to get that seller form produced. The other thing I'm hearing a lot of noise on related to the seller form is the privacy of seller data. So we have a federal regulation in place, but there could be state privacy laws and other things playing that the agent feels beholden to to follow. So I still think there's a lot. We're not just smooth sailing yet, I guess is the way I would say it. We're still working through it and getting on the same page. What is it? Is it a learning curve that, that's going to take care of itself? I, I, I would hope so. I, I think my answer would be yes and no. So Alice said earlier about the correction just issued by the CFPB over one word, the word not, you know. So we still have some regulatory ambiguity. And then there's interpretation. I mean, I'm just working with different lenders, how they've been interpreting things. You know, everyone has a slightly different view. They might be a little more conservative in some shops than others. 
And when you take that and then you have some regulatory ambiguity that's still being worked out, you know, it, it's, it, there's a lot to learn and there's a lot to come to terms with. So what I would encourage lenders to do is they've got to define, you know, their, going back to this risk paradigm, their comfort zone, how, how what they see it should be done, and then they need to build a system and a process that can enforce that when they do business. Because as I mentioned, but, even something like a fee name can cause an operational headache. It sure seems like that. If each lender does that, how on earth can a, can a settlement agent deal with everyone doing it a little bit differently? You <laughs> um, know? must sit on all the calls. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah, there's been this feeling, I think, maybe from the lending community that, you know, they're the customer, the agent is the service provider, right? And they should be able to just say so and the agent follow it. And that's something I would strongly discourage. I don't think a lender can just say so, this is the way I want it done, and expect to get predictable, consistent results. I mean, I don't just, I, you know, I know David's a parent, I'm a parent. Any, I think any parent knows you can say so to your kid, and they don't always follow, right? So the lender, again, is in the risk position. They're left holding the bag if if the agent doesn't do what they need them to do. And we've heard noise around, you know, trying to contractually put that in the closing instructions. But at the end of the day, the lender's responsible for the agent's behavior. So I think this gets back to you've got to give them tools. You've got to get an agent tool so that when they're working on you, Mr. Lender A's loan, they know what to do. You can't expect the agent to be a walking human encyclopedia of every matrix of, you know, how a lender works. And so this is another place where we believe that Simplify Good Collaboration can really simplify it, how that process come in, it, the, the portal knows what lender you're in, and they can provide the tools to make sure that it's done consistently and correctly. What are your thoughts on the attorney side? You've mentioned bill companies several times. I agree we need a, they need a system. So we find the attorneys are even more of a challenge in those states that are attorney closing. They're not. Uh, they're trying to say, no, I'm going to still be in control. You're going to do it my way. And believe it or not, we're still getting caught once from attorneys. <laughs> I heard Loretta say that, too, and we've heard <laughs> that, too. You know, I don't know. On Simplify, we look at it all the same. I mean, we're national, so our agent base, we have 17,000 closing companies, includes closing attorneys, and they've been real active with us, excited to have tools. They want it simplified. So we haven't simplified, sorry, Um they, we haven't seen the pushback. I mean, you're de- generally dealing with smaller organizations at that time, so you've got to get your message out and get them trained. And, and that's something that I think can't be overlooked. You can't just roll technology out there and think that everyone's going to be able to adopt it. I can't stress enough the importance of holding, whether it's a small closing attorney or a small agent somewhere, holding their hand on their first couple loans. And that's, you know, I know we as a provider believe in that. But that's something as an industry I think we have to do the heavy lifting on and understand that that's needed to get everyone there across the finish line. That just takes a lot of resources, you know, for those uh, mid to even mid-sized companies and feeling like I have to train every single title agent. And, of course, the realtors and the loan officers want you to use the last-minute attorney or title company to be added to their list. that, of course, complicates things for lenders trying to stick with just an approved list. So, anyway, it's a challenge. It is a challenge, yes. I agree with you. I can tell you that we have staffed up tremendously just for the hand-holding purpose. It's something we've always done historically in e-recording is that nobody goes to their first e-recording without our help, and we sit on the line with them, and the same thing happens when they get their first trade loan. So that is, that is a, I mean, I just think it's a reality, and we can close our eyes and hope it goes away or, 
just say we're going to say so and think we're going to get results, but I don't think that's the case. Is the solution technology? 100% believe good technology should eliminate a lot of the noise that we talked about. So let's just go back to fees that we talked about before. If lender A calls something, you know, XYZ, and the next lender calls really the same fee, ABC, good technology should normalize all that. So when we onboard a lender, we actually get all of their fee mapping. We map it to the MISMO standard under the hood so that you're starting to be able to tie it back to a standard. And so that when an agent comes in alone for lender A, they're only allowed to pick from fees in the sections that that lender wants them. So remember, you might have an item that could be in section A, B, C, H, right? So, but they don't know where that lender wants it. And your, your technology should allow that agent or closing attorney to come in and say, oh, okay, for this lender it's here. And we, we've put tools in where they can just search on something and it's going to tell them here's all the places this lender allows this. Click on it, take it right there to enter. So they don't really have to know exactly what each lender is doing because they might do one loan a month. I heard a, I heard a stat the other day that the typical settlement agent might deal with 35 different lenders a week. You know, impossible to manage all that in their, in their head. So wow. I don't think you can do that just with humans. You need technology to help kind of solve for that, that process. When you look at the technology, you seem to feel that technology is there to help solve these problems. Is anything else we need to be aware of? Uh, any misconceptions that are out there? Just, you mean, as far as going forward? I, you know, I think yeah, one big on mis- a moving forward basis, yeah. Yeah, I think one big mis- misconception is some people kind of feel like we're over the hump or over the hurdle. You know, October's in the past, and we're all kind of getting loans done. And it goes back to my earlier comment, David. If you solve for a TRID as a form change, I think you're in trouble. Don't need to be Debbie Downer there, but... You know, the uniform closing data set, the data that has to be delivered to the GSEs in 2017, will be here before we know it. I mean, they're going to start testing, you know, allow testing of submission of that data later this year in the third quarter. So it goes back to, you know, did you solve this as a form change or did you really look at this as a data standard and start moving towards the MISMO 3.3 file, you know, the uniform closing data set, which is based on MISMO 3.3. So I think there's a whole technology challenge there that a lot of vendors maybe didn't think about. They just tried to produce the form. And I think we're going to see a whole nother hiccup in our vendor community this year for those that didn't solve in the first go around and base it on the standard. You know, give some examples of collaboration and the benefits of it. Yeah, so I think one is timing. I mean, people think about collaboration of just getting the the things on the form, right? But think about timing. How much more efficient is real-time collaboration? If um, you look at doing it manually or even some of the systems that are not real-time, you're doing your work, you're passing the baton, you're waiting, you could potentially be working on stale data while data is changing, you know, it's out the agent being changed. Real-time collaboration, you are in lockstep with what's going on with the agent. So if they make a change, you immediately know. You can, in our solution, actually, you can be in there together. So it's literally real-time, which is nothing we've ever had before, and it's connecting the settlement system or the title production system into the loan origination system, which we've never had before. I mean, I can't tell you how many years I heard, you know, lenders ask me how to get the, how to get the HUD-1 data electronically, and they use OCR and other things to do that because they've always had that right. disconnect of what comes back, and this is the first time ever. The other thing I would think is, you know, I, I was, my ears perked up when you said the kickback pools on TRID. So think about downstream providers. We're hearing stories that, 
you know, loans are being suspended by aggregators or other investors because they're not sure what to do if there's not a space between the title and the dash. I mean, I'm hoping this is a temporary kind of paralysis going on. But when you think about it, I mean, people are scared to buy these loans. They're stepping into that risk. And so the better you document or audit your collaboration process, that's information that can be passed on to third-party buyers as well. So can I assume that collaboration can help with the UCD uh, delivery too? Yes. So if your vendor is based on the MISMO 3.3 and you're collaborating in a MISMO 3.3, which is the Uniform Closing Data Set Standard, yes, it should be basically positioning lenders for UCD delivery, which I think is awesome. So, you know, eliminate the scrambling. I'm not sure that everyone understands what Simplifile is about. So if, if you wouldn't mind taking a few minutes telling us about how it came about, how you saw this deed, and what you're specifically doing. Sure. So Simplifile has been in the marketplace for about 16 years. We're primarily known in the e-recording space, which to the lending community, you might think, e-recording, I don't have to worry about that. But if you went to a a title or or a settlement show, you would understand that we're a household name in the real estate space and have been. So we're the leading provider of e-recording. And take a step back and say, okay, well, what does that mean? Well, it means that we've been running a technology platform that connects different parties in the real estate transaction. Primarily in our past, it's been settlement agent to county or servicer to county, and we move data docs, and in the case of recording payment, because we pay the county and also pay the transfer taxes, back and forth completely electronically. And it's a huge market, growing market. About 74% of the U.S. population lives in in an e-recording county. What we did is say, take a step back. We've got the backbone. We know how to securely move data and docs. How do we add lenders to that? Because lenders now need to be really close to their settlement providers. And how do we take all those relationships and connect them? And that's what we did. And we built a collaboration portal that brings the lender into the fold, and they can see not only just before closing getting the disclosures out, but we keep that connection open post-closing so a lender can watch a loan go to recording, can get it back from the county. We can push it to them electronically, get trailing docs back electronically. Alice referenced how important it is for this communication trail in her some of her earlier comments. And mm-hmm. I, I really see this as an effective tool to help with, in, in the event that you were to be audited by CFPB or called into question about how you're buying, speak to that briefly. We just only have just literally just a few moments. So if you could speak to that and then also provide information how people can get a hold of you, Nancy. Absolutely. As brief as possible, there's nothing that's done, whether it's a document, a data change, or a chat messaging. It's not something I didn't touch on, but we also take you know email and phone out of the equation and have live instant chat between the agent and lender. All of that is audited down to the very last detail. So you have a full audit trail of who did what, when, and where, both from lender and settlement agent. So um, wow. I think that would speak to Alice's. So comment. As far as reaching me, um, I can be reached at my phone number is 505-918-2322 or it's nancy.alley, which is A-L-L-E-Y, at simplifile.com. Nancy, thank you so much for uh, taking the time. Well, thank you. I really appreciate it. Folks, check it out at simplifile.com, S-I-M-P-L-I-F-I-L-E.com. Nancy, appreciate it so much. I wish you all the success. I think this is a great, innovative product, really meeting a need in the marketplace right now. And so really appreciate you taking time out to join us. Good to have you. Well, my pleasure. Thanks for the opportunity, David. You bet. Thank you, Nancy. 
Next week, we've got David Gansberg, who is going to be, the, who he is, the president and CEO of ArchMI. He's going to be our guest talking about leadership, innovation, and succeeding in 2016. You'll want to make sure you check out the podcast for next week. Join us live. Appreciate so many of you dialing in on this holiday week to join us. Lots of people from literally all over the United States. Thank you so much. Appreciate you being here. Have a great week and a happy President's Day. And uh, I look forward to having you back next week. Thank you, everybody. This has been Lickin on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lickin of Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. Today's guests were Joe Farr from MBS Line, Andy Shell of Mortgage Banking Solutions, and Alice Alvey, President CMB of Mortgage U. Come by next week and thank you for listening.